Hello and welcome to the assembly line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from Kahan Games. And I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here to talk about homebrews. How you doing, Bo? You know what, Kevin? I'm excited. About what? Because, so, we record these, and you know, they, they take a little while to edit. So, uh, you know, sometimes we record it one week, and it's done a few weeks later, or in the case of the music episode, eh, six months later. But, <laughs> there's a gap. And so, between the time we're recording, and the time you hear this, I will have made a massive road trip to Florida, and we will have done the first ever Assembly Line Game Jam. Oh, man, I hope what we made is good. And we're still friends. I hope we're still friends. There's always that. (laughs) It's going to be a good time. Yeah, I'm excited. I hope that you make it here, you know, without incident, uh, no pun intended. And then we have a great time and eat some good food and make a great game. So uh, I guess if you haven't listened to the bonus episode, because who really listens to those? They're like commercials. Actually, the last Mm. one was a commercial. (laughs) The Assembly Line Game Jam, I'm driving down to Kevin's. We're going to make a game together. If you want to support that, we will send you a copy of whatever comes out of our efforts. And within five days of today... The day you are first hearing this, if you listen to it immediately, uh, we will close (laughs) pre-orders. And we're not doing any regular orders, so we will close all sales. You have five days from today. If you forgot, now's the time to go back that. Not back. Support, because we're not Kickstarter. We're just two dudes. And if you're listening more than five days after it came out, hate it for you. (laughs) Any little bit helps, and we're going to turn sort of our exploits into an episode, but you'll all get to hear that regardless of whether you throw down cash or not. Yeah, every little bit helps. You know, pizza, beer, gas, they all kind of add up. (laughs) Yeah, that's about the only three things we'll be buying. (laughs) How about cart shells and PCBs, sir? Uh, I guess we could do that, too, if that's what the people want. Yeah, I, I guess. Thank you for your money. You get nothing. <laughs> what I what I really like about it is it, it, it you know, really reinforces our community roots. This is just two people. We make a podcast. Well, no, sorry. We're friends. We then make a podcast. <laughs> we also make separate games. Now we're finally going to make a game together for better or worse. And it, it honestly, it may be for the worse. We'll see. But, you know, it's a community event, and just the list of uh, people who are supporting this so far just really affirms that. Well, yeah, I mean, the the, the fact that people would want to support something that they don't even know what they're going to get in return, I think that's that says something about them, and I think it says something about what they think of us, and it just makes me really feel special, so thank well, you. Well, any Kickstarter promises something that it may or may not deliver we're just telling you up front it may not be that great (laughs) no you can't say that it will be great it'll have our personality all over it i'm sure and as uh if you've listened to the uh bonus episode slash commercial you know that neither of us know what we're going to make yet so that's sort of half the fun that's that's why but that's why i really appreciate the people who are blindly uh supporting this because hey we're blind with this too. We have no clue what's going to come out of it. I think that's what makes it so fun though. Like going into it, knowing sort of the possibilities could go in any direction 
because you and I have not talked about it a bit because we want to sit down in person, present ideas fresh, you know, basically the day we're starting and go from there. It's going to be so much it fun. It could be the next bobble. It could be the next banana nana. It could be definitely neither of those. The next sneak and peek. It could be the next sneak and peek. We'll see. We'll see. If you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. We've gotten some, and this is awkward for me to say, but we've we've gotten some mail, uh, emails, messages, whatever, over the years where people have talked about how important this podcast has been to them and how being mentioned or featured has been kind of like a milestone in their home brewing career. Mm. And... You know, what have, and, and to me, that, that's pretty neat. I, I don't think it's justified, and I don't think you should have that as your uh, pedestal. But, <laughs> you know, when I started out in 2013, I looked around and there was like, you know, there are certain things in the community at the time that existed on, you know, Nintendo Age, Nestev, the, the wider retro gaming world, where they were the milestones for me. Like, if I achieved this, to me, that that's like I've made it. Like that, that to me would have been very validating. And I've accomplished a goal that I set for myself, of course, because you know nobody's making me do this. What about you, Kevin? Have you had those things in your uh, homebrewing? Now, I'm not going to call it a career, but time. <laughs> oh, I think so for sure. I mean, when you, when you said that phrase, quote unquote, you felt like you made it. There have been a, a a couple things that immediately come to mind. So I think the first big one to me that felt like a big deal, I had just released Study Hall, which was I think my first my first game that I would consider I don't want to say good, but something that I was proud of, something that was <laughs> original, something. Why are you laughing? You do a lot of good things. You're too hard on yourself. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant or whatever, but it was the first game that I felt that I put original thought into and sort of put a stamp on. I don't know how to explain it, but I get what you're saying. After that game had come out, a couple things happened. So first of all, there was an article published on Wired.com, wow. which was sort of out of left field for me because I, you know, I've I've seen the magazine and I've read it, but to be featured on it was was decently surreal but because it isn't necessarily like video game related it didn't it, it felt amazing but not that amazing but what what felt even more amazing was right after that um there's a magazine called Nintendo Force magazine which i think is basically like a spiritual successor to Nintendo Power which i'm sure we can all agree was huge for the NES in general and video games in the late 90s but receiving that magazine in the mail opening it up and seeing something that I made being written about that, that was really huge. I, I really did feel like I had made it at that point <laughs> in print, no less. It's one thing to, you know, digital, but man, to actually be in print, that is pretty neat. Yeah, it's huge. Well, you know, that was always one of my goals was to, uh, get into print in my 2012, 2013 phase. I was really picking up retro gamer quite a bit because i was you know getting back into things uh there was this section in there called like homebrew highlights Ooh, yeah and they would feature all these people's games to me when i started out i was like you know what someday i want to be in retro gamer and it never happened 
and it's never going to. Wait, why? Because they, the last issue I got, they took away the section on homebrews. Do you think it was just like a one issue thing that they're going to bring back? Or it's no, gone? I think they've. Uh, I don't think the section was that popular. I mean, you know, they always had this big blurb at the top, like if you're doing a homebrew game, please write in and tell us about it. And I saw a lot of a lot of uh, people I know featured. You know. Chris Cacciatore was featured, uh, Rob Bryant, uh, various other people throughout the years, the Mojon twins a lot because they do stuff for different systems. And it was always mm-hmm. very exciting. It was like, oh man, you got in there and you had this great game and it was featured and it's worth it. And at any time I could have written in, but you know, the goals you set for yourself, you want them to be authentic. And so to me, I, I needed a game that was worthy of being featured in a print magazine. And Spookatron just didn't quite do it for me. <laughs> and I just I didn't feel like that fit. You know, I always had this idea of wanting to do this big RPG, which I'm still working on. And I wanted that to like be the first. This is who Soul Goose Productions is in print that nobody really reads, but he's here. And now uh, now we'll see if we actually see that. Well, I mean, if if they were previously like wanting people to write in to talk about their games to be featured, like Maybe when that day comes, when your RPG is getting ready to be released, you can let them know, you know, who knows what will happen. Maybe they'll have something even more elaborate than your little homebrew highlight. I love how you didn't say when your game is done. You said when you're getting ready to release your game. (laughs) Nice, nice play, sir. Well, you want the magazine to create some hype and... (laughs) whatever (laughs) i'm just giving you a hard time so what else what other times have you felt like you've arrived uh the next one that comes to mind for me i was lucky enough to have ign uh want to feature or rather make a video about when i originally released the leisure suit larry port so seeing a channel on youtube that had that many followers I mean, I, they have over a million subscribers now. It's it's decently it's it's crazy to me how how big they are. But to have a, a channel on that level, talk about you know something I made, it's sort of surreal. I mean, of course, those views didn't turn into many sales because what person, what what modern gamer who watches IGN is going to you know want to buy an old Nintendo game? Who cares? But just the fact that they took the time to cover an NES homebrew. In a, in a favorable light, it was it was pretty crazy. I felt really good about that. Goodness, yeah. I remember when I saw that, and it was like, wow, Kevin is doing some neat things. <laughs> it's kind of silly, but, you know, computers um, use cookies and everything to try to track ads and everything. So um, to show ads that, you know, are relevant to whatever you're searching for in your internet browser. But somehow, I guess it had seen that maybe I had looked at NES homebrew stuff. So I was like browsing yahoo one day and the the snippet for that article popped up on the front page of yahoo like it was it was crazy to see it where i normally go to read my news which you know judge me if you want but i will to see a game that i made on it on an article right there on the front page of yahoo pretty awesome man and and see that's that's the difference you know we could talk about personal accomplishments like i know for you getting ultimate frogger in the mail on a cart was a huge day Ooh, for me, I'm not quite sure when mine were, but you know, those are personal accomplishments. These are more like, and it's weird to say, but like peer accomplishments, uh, other people in the community sort of seeing what you're doing, which is, 
it's a weird way. Like I, I don't value what I do based on what other people think because, well, they don't care. And <laughs> I'm just going to do whatever I feel like anyways. <laughs> there, there's been a few things. And uh, one of the big ones was on Nintendo Age, you had badges. And these badges indicated certain things that you'd achieved. They were, they were basically achievements uh, as a gamer, as a collector, or as a home brewer. Ooh. Yes. And so, like, you know, the gamer ones were like, you won this high score competition. The collector ones were like, I spent this amount of money and was this tenacious that I found <laughs> every single piece of Final Fantasy paraphernalia ever. And you're like, oh, you get a badge for that. But the homebrewer ones were all like community musician, community writer, which that was another important one for me. Mm-hmm. So they have they had beta tester. Yeah. What else, Kevin? Graphics. They had home brewer, right? That would be the biggest of them. Yes, home brewer. Yeah, I tried to give you that many times. Oh goodness, you because you had to like message somebody when you achieved one of these things. So I messaged Kevin when I got the when I beta tested for Frank. Kevin was like, oh, do you want the homebrew one too? Because I've been, you know, programming for like two years and and all this. And I was like, no, not until (laughs) I have earned it. Oh, you know, I released then Swords and Runes and somebody was like, do you want the, uh, you know, you're up for this homebrewer thing. And I was like, no, I'm not. I released a game. I did not program it. And so it was only. Was there was there a publisher Mm, yeah later eventually there was a publisher thing and i think i ended up with that one that one doesn't count to me but to actually have like taken the time to learn how to program for the nes and even release something as complex or simple as pong squared that was that would have been enough but like until i released a game that i had programmed i didn't want it finally with spookatron it was like i have made this game Please grant me this badge. And it was kind of anticlimactic at that point because it was like, you know, four years later. But <laughs> it was still a good feeling. It's cool to hear that someone, I don't want to use the word valued because it sounds silly, but like that badge meant that much to you that you, like you wanted it really bad and you didn't want it just given to you. Like you wanted to earn it to, to know that, you cared that much about it. it it kind of like makes me feel i don't know i'm, I'm really happy that you felt that way and i'm glad that you well, you were a it. moderator at the time uh one of your like what six stints as moderator <laughs> me and nintendo age we <laughs> we had we had a what's the word uh, differences we had a relationship for sure yes it was one of those things where the you can say in this community i have done this and you know we live in the the age of everybody gets a gold trophy and you know whatever if if that is good for you whatever but sometimes you want to know that you earned something the hard way absolutely for me it was finally getting that badge maybe i'm a stickler maybe i'm old-fashioned i don't know (laughs) Well, the, I think the last one I can really think of, and, and I could think of more if if I wanted to, but you know, I don't want to talk all day about this stuff. But I think the biggest one where I really felt like I made it was when we got picked up at Indiecade for any escape. That is a big one. Yes. Yeah, I mean it. 
it has nothing to do with NES homebrew. It is about video games. So you're submitting your game just like everyone else to be judged, you know, by judges, and they're going to select games from the pool. Like regardless of it's an indie game or if it's a bigger game, like no matter what type of game, it's it's an even playing field. And and when you're submitting something on a retro system, in my opinion, you're almost already at a disadvantage because it's not going to be to to the common person, I would think anyway, not as interesting to look at and maybe might look archaic. So when we got accepted into that festival and got to go to Santa Monica for those few days and, you know, set the game up and, and talk to all these other developers and have them, you know, these modern developers come around and play our game and get feedback. I mean, that was insane, and it was such a good experience. So I wouldn't trade that for the world, but I really did feel um, that day that we had made it. It's weird, too. They're, they're not things you ask for. They're not always things you look for even think will happen. I remember when uh, Tim Wordinger with Orab Games, with his uh, tailgate party at MGC the one year, they just came up to him and were like, you know what? Your game is the... I, th- I forget what award he won, but it was like most original. And it was just like, wow, like out of nowhere, that was it. Yeah, that was so freaking cool. He deserved that too, man. He worked hard on that game. So creative. You want to talk about a video game now? How about a good video game? No? Dare I say, a great video game. Dare I say, one of SGP's top 1 to 10. I'd love to see that list one day, but personally, I put this game at number one on the Kahan list because Jay and Silent Bob Mall Brawl is the shit. There goes the explicit rating. This game's amazing. Let's talk about it. One of us always has to take it there, so I'm glad it was you again. <laughs> again. So, I-, I told you last time that I would take the brief gameplay description you still okay with that absolutely because uh, i don't want to embarrass you and i don't want to make you feel bad and i don't want to turn it into a kitschy thing where i was asking well i mean fail. i feel i feel like after the last episode i have a better idea of what you're looking for oh so i feel like if you did ask me okay. i would fail slightly less but who's to say let's scratch my plans go for it fool let me tell you about Jay and Silent Bob Mall Brawl. It's a beat-em-up. A side-scrolling beat-em-up at times. Sometimes horizontal, sometimes vertical. You can play either one player or two players. And you just progress through the storyline, beat some mini-bosses, beat some real bosses. And then at the end, there's a final boss. Right? Right? Yeah. Did I do it? Oh! Uh, I don't want to. No. I don't want to say yes. No. <laughs> no. I have. It's better. It's better, right? Let's just say I have nothing to add. Oh, that might be my my highest form of peer praise, right there. Damn, I yeah. solved your riddle. You write a book, you make a game, and I—if my words are "I have nothing to add," you have nailed it. <laughs> For people who may not know who Jay and Silent Bob are, can you explain sort of where they come from? Well, the NES has a uh, 
curious history of licensed IPs. Oh, yes, to put it mildly. Anything from uh, Jaws to mm. Little Nemo, which hadn't mm. been written in a century, almost, to you know all the Disney games, which were amazing because they were done by Capcom, to what, what's the latest LJN garbage? Terminator? The latest? Oh, <laughs> yeah, they got Terminator, they got Friday the 13th, they got Nightmare on Elm Street, they got all kinds of stuff. All sorts of trash. So... The NES has not had a good history with licensed IPs. And so when I first saw Jay and Silent Bob Marlboro on the NES, I was like, here we go again. And then I saw <laughs> uh, that Thomas was the programmer. And I was like, oh, wait, he's done pretty good so far. So let's, let's roll the dice and see. <laughs> now, this is part of the... Uh, we're going to show my ignorance of 90s movies right now. And this is part of the Ascanseverse? Uh, no. Okay. It is not. This is part of something that I saw <laughs> in Dogma once. And this was two dudes who came out of nowhere and were like, we're going to beat everybody, and one guy doesn't talk. <laughs> and the other guy looks like he's stoned all the time. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I don't know who these people are. Oh, Bo. And I have never seen them in anything else. I've seen Dogma. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what else they're in. Please, because you talk about this Kevin Smith as if he's this great <sighs> legend. And we might even be doing this podcast because I listened to a podcast that his people, not him, do. That's funny. Yes. Yes. Full circle. So, yeah, we went over to Kevin Smith's comic book shop in Red Bank, New Jersey. Sure. One day, one day on a whim when we were at MAGFest. Good times. Anyway, so Jay and Silent Bob stem from the Askewiverse. Not, not Askance? No. Because the their production company is View Askew. Anyway. Whatever you say. Their introduction to the world came in a movie called Clerks. Uh, which was a black and white movie that Kevin made, and he made it in black and white because the film was cheaper, and he filmed it in a convenience store that he worked in after hours. The quick stop. So they were introduced in Clerks. It's all making sense already. Then they appeared in Mallrats, and that's sort of the world that this game mostly takes place in. And then we got Dogma, of course, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And I think Mallrats 2 is going to be coming out. I think he's writing that right now. But there's all these movies that Jay and Silent Bob sort of pop up in. Jay is sort of a, a mouthy, obnoxious, scrawny stoner. And Silent Bob is the silent. He typically has one line in every movie, but it's usually very oh. full of wisdom. Um, but they're sort of a, a juxtaposition of, you know, different sort of vibes but yeah seeing them pop up in an nes game very unexpected but uh it makes me happy because you know throughout college and uh you know post-college i watched a lot of these movies and sort of still having them appear somehow in my life has been a lot of fun there is a good chance that between this recording and the time that ye all hear it um old english plural you <laughs> I will have watched most of these movies. I'm, I'm very excited, but 
But to me at this point, I have no clue what this whole world is this game is detailing, which is kind of on par with the best NES licensed games <laughs> is you didn't have to read the Sunday comic strip from 1910 to understand that Little Nemo was a fun game to play. Yeah, and it's not like a lot of these licensed games in the NES's era, you know, borrowed from any semblance of any storyline that happened in movies. True. <laughs> they just came up with whatever. <laughs> So I, I, because I have no background in the Jay and Silent Bob universe, really don't know who they are other than Dogma. I had to ask Thomas sort of how this game came to be, uh, do my internet research as I should always be doing. And, you know, it started, there was this Kickstarter, not Kickstarter, crowdfunding campaign for a modern platform game called Jay and Silent Bob chronic blunt punch and this was back in 2016 on a platform i had never heard of called fig dot co maybe something like that okay fig something yeah you've never heard of it either it's nope. it's not kickstarter or kickstarter's bastard child indiegogo <laughs> there's the second explicit uh rating and yes indiegogo <laughs> It's on neither of those, so I had never heard of it, clearly. And it's also modern, so I could care less. This game raised almost half a million dollars on some obscure platform. Wow. And yes, I had not a clue. Just slap an Atari logo on it. Ooh, how about Coleco Chameleon? Anyways. Um, I, got, I got some deep cuts today. So this game achieved massive sales and this team went on to start creating it now this team had had some sort of interaction with a little company called limited run games based on and they worked together on a game called combo man which to be honest i've never heard of and i'll have to go look into later but uh through that <laughs> At the same time, or roughly about the same time, so that is how this other company being Interabang, which had chronic blunt punch crowdfunding campaign and had contacts with Kevin Smith, you know, th they had come up with this idea for this game. They pitched it to him. He said, yes, but go find your own money. And so they did. And then, so they had contacts with Limited Run Games. Limited Run Games had contacts with a certain fellow named... Uh, Spoonie Bard Productions, Thomas Guinan. Oh, from his Galf days? Ah, uh, yes. This would be explicitly due to his Galf days. So he'd done... No kidding. Eskimo Bob. He was halfway through the development of Alfonso's Arctic Adventures. And Thomas did Galf as, you know, if you play the game, it's kind of a joke. But Galf itself is a joke. So it's not really a joke, I guess. Double negatives? <laughs> it's a fun parody of the original golf sure as featured in golf story the only thing i didn't play in golf story was golf but i appreciated <laughs> that thomas went to all the trouble to make that on the nes and that started this connection so we have a connection between limited run games and thomas we have a connection between limited run games and in terabang and from that lrg was like Hey, Interabang, what if we make an NES game? 
And they were like, yeah, do you have somebody? They were like, yeah, we have this guy. His name's Thomas. And history was born? No kidding. So it was LRG's brainchild to make an NES game about this. Yes, except they actually have nothing to do with the development or production of it. They just set the the parties in motion. They set the parties in motion, and of course they did the physical release, which is what I believe you and I were both playing, correct? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, so, because the, the, you know, that's their shtick. <laughs> that's what they do. They do physical production of oftentimes seemingly digital games. And so, yeah, three parties coming together. Now, Thomas is now on staff at Interrobang uh, through this connection, and... No kidding. Yeah, so that, that's sort of the history that's leading up to this game called Mall Brawl being done. And it was done by not just Thomas. Thomas did the programming, he did a lot of the initial art. The lead fellow from Interrobang, he served as sort of director and producer... So then toward the end of production, fellows named Nathan Shorts and Ty Burks from Wallride Games were brought in to help with the graphics, and Tony Lays did the music to sort of round out the team. So it was still a very small team, still very kind of grassroots, and in the midst of this much larger crowdfunding campaign for Jay and Silent Bob Chronic Blunt Punch, this was sort of a spinoff. That's how this game kind of came to be, which to me was all new. Yeah, I remember seeing it announced, and I didn't really understand what it was, but like the fact that an NES homebrew was made about this IP, like it's just so cool to me. I love it. And the music, I can't wait to talk about the music. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't <laughs> worry. LRG is never like super forthcoming because, you know, they, they go through, you know, quite a few releases, properties, things like that. They, they're not involved in the actual like development of the games. They're involved in the physical production. So they don't always, you know, go into great detail about who did what and how this thing came to be in the world. But uh, yeah, there's actually quite a bit of history there. That's really cool. Well, hopefully Thomas and Justin, if we can get them on, have quite a bit more to say in a little bit. But in the meantime, Kevin, let us talk about Jay and Silent Bob, Mall Brawl, a little more in depth. Let's do it. Let's start with the very first things that hits you. To me, that is the presentation. When you pop that cartridge in and hit the power button, what happens? If I remember right, there are some logos that pop up, and then you have a title screen that uses a really cool effect. Every other line comes from either the left or right side of the screen, sort of merging together. That is exactly what I'm talking about. What is that title screen from? Bubble Bobble? I don't know. Goodness, I don't know, but I feel like I've seen it many, many times, and it is very, very well done. I honestly, and it wouldn't surprise me if it is taken, you know, inspired by something, because there are a lot of things in this game that are inspired from other NES games, which we will talk about uh, coming up. Um, but I honestly, the first time I saw that effect, I did not think it was on the NES, because it didn't make sense to me that it was possible. And I sent Thomas a direct message like, hey, man. 
why didn't you make the title screen NES? Because I think it was, um, at this point, it was a digital game still, so it hadn't been put on a cartridge. And I was like, hey, man, like, mm. why did you make the title screen not to the NES specifications? And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, that's not possible on the NES. And he told me the trick he used, like, you know, every other frame sort of displaying the other name table. Anyway, it's a super cool trick. I, I highly enjoy that title screen. Which I probably would have said the same thing other than last uh, episode we covered Twin Dragons and there was a thing with the end boss where I was like, oh man, how's he doing that? How's that even possible? <laughs> and I sort of deduced that it was due to the every other screen thing. Yeah. Interesting though that you caught that. It looks like something I've seen and I'm sure some listener somewhere, hopefully, is going to say, oh, that's in Double Dragon 3 and I'll be like, oh yeah, I rented that once. Oh yeah, I'm sure a number of people are calling us idiots right now because we can't remember what it's from. <laughs> That's okay. I'm okay with that. That's yeah. your badge of honor. Yep. I'm good with it. Yeah. So immediately the polish of the game hits you in the, the splash screens, like you talked about, the title screen, uh, all the opening menus are all very well done. Uh, other than the attract mode, that. No, it doesn't show you gameplay, it just shows you sort of the intro and then repeats, which is fine, not a big deal. There's title cards before every level, every few levels or every level. There's, I actually don't really remember because I was kind of intensely into it. It's every level, yeah. No, no, not the title cards, but like I remember there, Jay and Silent Bob would like run by, sort of like in Pac Man with that interstitial screen. That is, yeah, after every level, it says snooch to the nooch. Yeah, that's what it is, which makes no sense to me because I don't know what that means. <laughs> you need to watch Clerks. I will. I will. Between now and when everybody else hears this, yeehaw. Let's have a Kevin Smith jam instead of a game jam. What do you say? If he'll fund it, sure. <laughs> I just meant we should just watch the movies and not make a game. Yeah, we could do that thing like a lot of Kickstarters do where we just pocket the money and be done. <laughs> Ah, anyways, uh, but yeah, with the little run-by jingles and the title cards, like, this game, in terms of presentation, just has it all. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, you probably did, Maybe being as how you are such a fan. I feel like you just said something very negative in a very positive way. <laughs> when you push start from the title screen before the first title card, there is a brief sort of opening storyline that it tells you. There is. There and is. do you know what that screen is based off of? I'm sure you do. Final Fantasy. The crystals were shining. Absolutely. Yep. Even the final words of the opening storyline are a nice little reference. The quickie mart was shining or something? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not it. But I, I thought you'd correct me. The stop and go. That's the quick stop. Quick stop. Thank you. I knew you'd know it. <laughs> and it took me till today. I've, I've watched this opening intro like, what, four or five times now. And every time I'm like, Kylie, what does that remind me of? And today I was like, oh, duh. Yep. Of all the games I've played more than any others, they're Final Fantasies. The quick stop was shining. Straight up blue background, text on top, ripped straight from it. Good stuff. Ah, beautiful. He borrows in all the best ways. I can't wait to discuss all the ones that I caught. Well, his handle is Spoonie Bard, so, you know. Touche. Yeah. 
So tell me more about the gameplay in this beast. So you can either choose one player or two players. If you're playing a single player, you can switch between Jay and Silent Bob. Basically, like if you're playing as one of them and your life gets low, you can switch to the other one and have full life. And then when you switch to the other character, doesn't the life slowly refill on the character yes. you switched out from? Yeah. So you that it does. Yeah. So you currently you're sort of playing this weird mechanic where you're trying to you know be smart about using the right character at the right time to where none of them die but if you play two player like i did last night one person plays jay the other person plays silent bob and same kind of thing if if one of you dies the other one stays alive and then while that person stays alive the person that dies is life slowly refills and if it gets to a certain point you actually respawn so one thing i really like about this game is it uses some really good modern touches that makes it much more accessible to a i don't know i want to say working adult but you know it it makes it easier (laughs) to get through (laughs) well you have to remember that most of the beat-em-ups in the licensed nes library are ports from arcade games where the goal was to eat your quarter. Yeah. And so these were often games. I mean, did you buy any beat em ups growing up? Oh, absolutely. I had Double Dragon 1 and 2. We got some later, but most of the ones like that we actually like played, we rented. And so it was sort of the same concept of you're never going to beat this game. And uh, that's sort of how the game plays. And so I was never in super into beat-em-ups, but yeah, these, as you call them, modern touches, they're more just getting away from the arcade traps of uh, feeding in quarters. Well, I don't even mean, I don't even mean just that, but things like saving after each level to where if you turn off the game, you know, you can come back whenever you have time and you can start right where you left off. I feel like that isn't just a step away from arcades. Like, I think that is sort of a, a modern, a, a, a touch that more modern games use to make it a little bit okay. more accessible. All right. To me, I just equate that as good gameplay. They could have done it back in the day. They chose not <laughs> to. They should have. Yeah. Oh, whatever, whatever. So uh, tell me about sort of the basics. So we've gotten sort of the overview. We have two players, we have saves, we have some modern features, but we're still only left with two buttons and a limited screen space. Tell me about sort of the basic moves and how that works out. Sure. So basically one, like you have A and B, one, one button punches, the other button kicks. If you press both buttons together, you jump. And just like some of the other beat 'em ups, when you jump, you know, while you're in the air, you can hit one or, or or the other button to either jump punch or jump kick. But what's cool about this game is it actually has it keeps track of your attacks. So if you attack if if you attack someone, I think it's like eight times in a row. Uh, that number could be wrong. I apologize if it is. Um, anyway, when you get to a certain number of attacks, um, you unleash sort of a power attack, which each character has a unique one. And on top of that, there's some cool things you can do where if you are playing two players and you attack together, there's some sort of special combo moves that happen. Uh, very, very unique. I really liked it. That's very different than Double Dragon. If you're facing left and press B, you punch. And if you're facing right and press B, you kick, which never made sense in my brain. Yeah, and you had that weird 
backwards elbow attack in that game. Yeah, it, I don't remember anyway. Yeah, these these were very nice basic moves. Uh, punch kick, uh, the two buttons to jump, special moves, which were sort of a bonus because you're probably so frantically doing things you don't realize you even have them until you're like, oh man, I just, just killed him way early. That's awesome. <laughs> Along the way, you have things like health drops, which are nice. You know, a uh, ice cream cone or a chicken drum drumstick. What do you call that in the South? A drumstick, yeah. You can pick that up and get health. And then there's also weapon drops, sort of like in Battletoads, where you see that, you know, a uh, sock full of quarters in <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob, not, not in Battletoads, or the broom or plunger or whatever. Yep. You can pick it up and you can hit things, people, objects, whatever. Which was a little different than... In, like, Battletoads, you got to keep the... My brother and I always called it the stick. Like, you picked up the stick, and you got to hit people with the stick. I'm sure it had a more technical name than that. In Jay and Silent Bob, Mall Brawl, you you get to pick it up, but then it just, like, disappears on you. Now, having programmed, I can understand. Like, you clear everything on the screen at once. And it also decreases the advantage you have. But I, I always liked that in Battletoads, where you kept that advantage... Uh, despite the changing circumstances. Yeah, I was curious if that was a, like a sprite limitation thing that he wanted to free up. Mm. And we can ask him that when he comes on. Um, but that, that, that was my guess. I'm going to take him to task on it because I want that stupid sock full of quarters later. Same, yeah. I wanted to continue carrying you know, the various weapons. I went to all the trouble to pick it up. Why shouldn't I keep it? <laughs> yeah, you knock the skateboarder off the skateboard. I want to keep the skateboard. Heck yes. And so <laughs> along the way then, of course, right as you lose the skateboard, then that's where you fight the mini boss <laughs> or the regular boss. And, you know, it's kind of brutal. One thing I really liked with kind of how they did things most beat-em-ups i and this could be a memory thing because i don't play a lot of beat-em-ups these days unless a guest visits and it's like oh we need a two-player game beat-em-ups but anyway there, there were a lot of different themes throughout the levels and with that a lot of different backgrounds and some of the backgrounds had sort of an added dimension of depth that, to me, was always missing in beat-em-ups. Ah, now that I think about it, I guess Turtles had it, but it, it, Mall Brawl does it quite well, with the caveat being that the collisions don't always match up perfectly. Like, you know, if you were technically analyzing it because you wanted to implement it at the program level, you'd be like, oh, he should have, like, moved back when he fell off this platform, but he just falls straight over. But it's the type of stuff you don't even realize when you're playing. When you say it has added depth, do you mean like on the arcade level being able to jump, you know, either at the top of the arcade or walking down in front of the arcade? No, I mean, the, the, so that'd be regular depth that you're used to in a beat-em-up. I mean, more like uh, on that first stage when you jump up onto the stage and then you jump down from the stage. Gotcha. Gotcha. When you're temporarily on the Merv Griffith show. Well, with Kramer. <laughs> Anyways, it's my one small, small notice. Not even complaint, but notice about just the collisions not matching up perfectly. Any, Anyways. So yeah, and then there's mini bosses, bosses, and... 
along the way, you'll do things like there's civilians. Uh, what'd you do the first time you saw the old lady with the walker? Uh, the first time I played it on my own, I definitely was in kill everything mode. So, uh, yeah, I attacked her pretty quickly. Yeah, you punched her in the face, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. And that brings out LaFours, and you don't want LaFours coming after you. Is, is LaFours a, a Scanciverse, uh, a Skewniverse, whatever it's called? Is that you a reference? You don't know who LaFours is? He doesn't know who LaFours is. Who are you talking That's to? another view askew reference. Sorry. <laughs> gotcha. Someone got that out there. Okay, so apparently, I didn't know why people were beating me up. I just knew they were people. Yeah, he's from Mallrats. He's the security okay. guard. All right. Was it Ben Affleck? No. Okay. Because there was one character that looked like Ben Affleck a little bit on like my sixth playthrough. But any, anyways. <laughs> so yeah, you have things like don't beat up the civilian, which is always a fun challenge. And you generally, like, I'm looking at her going, I shouldn't hit her. And then I'm like, no, I should hit everything. And then it was like, no, no, you shouldn't hit her. <laughs> so that was good. Plus, if you don't hit her, she drops you good stuff. Yeah, I noticed that. That was that was nice. And yeah, that's sort of the game. It's it's a fairly standard by eight bit definitions beat 'em up, except done better than most eight bit beat 'em ups. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And even I think game design wise, it's better designed but i also feel like game control wise it felt better than most like it it felt very solid to control the characters um the battles all felt like you were in control and i think what i like most is uh well it's not what i like most but one of the things i really liked was the fact that the enemy patterns could be figured out like it's not just random luck that's getting you through the levels and sometimes it is obviously but if if something kills you when you go back the second time um not having to start over which is amazing um you will have a much better <laughs> chance of getting through it because you will recognize patterns um and i, I really like that uh it's not just luck based and and button mashing yeah there i mean again back to the arcade roots it was about button mashing but this game has a lot of sort of planned interactions combined with randomness which which made it a lot more enjoyable a lot more playable than most uh nes era beat-em-ups in my mind so did it have uh different gameplay modes well you know a lot of the beat-em-ups back in the day had you'd play battle toads and then you'd hit what was it called turbo tunnel because we talked about the last time yes you play Battle Toads. You get through the first level or two, and then you hit the Turbo Tunnel, and you're doing other things. Or you'd play. I, I guess I uh, I rem vaguely recall Double Dragon is not a game I like to play ever, but I remember like you'd play a normal level, and then you'd be in like an elevator, and like things would change. Mm -hmm. Mall Brawl does that quite effectively. So you're you're playing a few levels, and then you get to basically a turbo tunnel where you're in a shopping cart and you're avoiding things and that is a tough level but yes. very very enjoyable yes after that you went to like instead of a normal level go to like a bathroom and instead of having like a whole level you just fight a boss slowly instead of all at once which was <laughs> Is this excremental that they speak of? Is that a, uh, a universe uh, thing? 
Um, I, it might be. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I probably don't know everything as well as I should. It's been a long time since I watched them, but it doesn't come to mind. There, there were some things from the game that I was wondering if they were just really deep inside jokes, um, or if it was just some random stuff. What about Pretzel Luchadore? What was he? Is he a thing? Oh, he's a thing. <laughs> May I interest you in a chocolate-covered pretzel? I will find that out in the coming weeks, I'm sure. Yes, uh, you will. And by the time everybody can make fun of me for not knowing these things, I will know them. <laughs> yeah, so those... And then I think level five, instead of going from left to right, it just goes from right to left, which seems like a small change, although on the programming level I can go, whew, Good luck with that. <laughs> but it was nice. It was like gameplay wise, it just freshened things up. So even though the first couple levels felt kind of the same and they had some nice vertical sections as opposed to most beat em ups, things, things always felt fresh. The, the vertical sections felt really fresh to me. And, and it might just be because I haven't played enough of the beat em ups, but I, I don't recall any on the system that I can think of doing it the way this game did i don't either i was giving the system being the nes licensed library the benefit of the doubt Mm. uh, which i don't remember it i mean they just all went left to right you beat up everything there might be some platforms or elevation changes but not many yeah i I think turtles 2 had a slight sort of oblique section but i i don't feel like it was quite as elaborate as this one when you're going down the alley and the pizza signs fall? Yeah, exactly. I, I guess I don't count Turtles as a beat-em-up in the same sense, because it played so differently. Mm. I don't really know why that is, but like, Mall Brawl feels more like Double Dragon, Mighty Final oh, yeah. Fight, that type of thing. With yeah, for sure. many more twists. You know, it's funny you mentioned the the two character thing and really like emphasized it because the first time I was playing, I forgot about Bob completely. Oh, poor Bob. He's too quiet. And I died. He's silent, dare I say. <laughs> and I died and like it just subbed him in without me having to change any buttons. I was like, oh yeah, I got a second player. That might be the best feature of any beat-em-up to date is automatically subbing in the second player and not having to have the player switch them in and out. Like a lot of old NES games, they're brutal in the sense that they do zero handholding. Like you just have to figure it out. And if you don't, good luck. Like this game seems like it, it, it did a really good job of sort of bridging the gap to where you didn't need to have read the manual front to back to understand how to do things. Um, yeah, that, that instant swap out um, when you die is a really nice touch. Well, and I'd, the sad thing is I'd read the manual before I started playing, but in the heat of battle, <laughs> I'd forgotten. <laughs> to me, th- this is a milestone game in some ways because for years, there's always sort of been this stigma of using C to program an NES game. You know, people said, oh, it can only be used for puzzle games. It can only be used for really slow paced things. You can't have a lot of action. And Thomas has somehow managed to give us just as much action as any other beat em up on the NES. But he did it all in C. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'll take it. So, I guess one thing I, that, that really freshened things up. Uh, 
not the double dragon or mighty final fight weren't fresh I, I think they both have good art they do that kind of like angled view i don't even know what you call it like earthbound did where you've got you can have taller objects because you angle things right mall brawl had like just a bunch of different locations they weren't all city they weren't all warehouse they you know you had a mall lobby Obviously, because it's called Mall Brawl. You had a food court, a grocery store, a bathroom, an arcade, a lingerie store, elevator, <laughs> comic book store, the Jersey Streets, which Kevin yeah. and I have walked in. Red, was it Red Bank? Red Bank, absolutely. That's actually a very nice part of town. He and I felt very out of place. <laughs> and then there was the uh, the Quick Stop, which is the last level. All those different locations demand very different arts, and it was always nice to sort of see. It's a treat when you when you get to a new level and you get to say, "Man, I'm going to see something different, not just the same." It's always a good feeling, especially when it's as different as it was. Like that arcade level, for example, it really felt like an '80s arcade with the the patterns and the colors. It it just had such a unique view. It, it really, you know, a lot of games will use the same sort of style for the different levels to where it might be different, but it kind of feels the same. This game did a really good job of making each level feel unique. Did you notice any uh, sort of inside references in the arcade level? There's a number, like a high score number on like a pinball machine that I'm sure has some significance, but no, I, I can't think of anything. Well, that number in particular, I'm pretty sure it's his debit card number. Mm. If I had to guess, it's way too complex just to be random. <laughs> but no, if you look, there's a... Uh, sorry, Thomas, I didn't mean to out you there. If you look, there's an Eskimo Bob arcade machine. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, despite the fact that he was working on this big licensed property, he was able to sink his own game in. That's awesome. Now that I know a little more history, the Combo Man arcade makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Sort of a Space Invaders thing. It, it was just—it was funny to me to, and I only recognize these things because I died on that level and really couldn't get past it uh, without a second player. I'm just sitting there staring at it, going, "Oh, I hate this level," and I'm like, "Oh wait, that's sort of neat," and oh, I can appreciate that. Nice touches. Yeah, I think that's probably why I didn't see it because that level was probably the hardest it mm. in in my opinion in the game. So I was hyper focused on killing things and not looking for jokes. Yeah, because you were so good and didn't die like I did. That's what you're saying? Oh, we died plenty, trust me. <laughs> Especially those little kids that you have to kill. God. Anyway. You had that we, I had the I. <laughs> Which, that's one of the fun things. So, like I said, we're doing this podcast. I'm going to go visit Kevin. You're going to hear it between now and then. He and I are going to play this game and enjoy it the way it should be enjoyed. Absolutely. Pro tip, get one player on the left of the enemies, get the other player on the right of the enemies, and if you attack toward each other, you do mega damage. So, yeah, the, I mean, the art across all the levels was great, mostly because it was very, it was varied and uh it was it was well done i thought and this game more than it's hard for me to to objectively compare since i was such a fan of this ip but i felt like this game did such a good job of making you want to continue playing 
Like even oh, after yeah. dying and getting a game over, like it didn't feel impossible to get back to it. And you kind of wanted to see where the game went. It never felt frustrating or overwhelming. That was one thing I noticed. And that's always what I look for in a game these days is I don't want to rent a game and be stuck with it for the weekend. And that's just what I have to play. I want to actually want to play it. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though Marlboro was very challenging and, and I didn't beat it, Kevin did because uh, he had a buddy. He cheated. <laughs> It always left you with a good sense of progress and an even greater sense of accomplishment when you did get past something. For sure. Which can't be said about all games or even most games. It was it was good. How good did it feel when you finally beat that shopping cart level? That that was an accomplishment. I messaged <laughs> I messaged Thomas and was like because I'd messaged him before I, you know, I'd been stuck on it for a while. And I was like, I cannot be the stupid shopping cart level. I don't know what I'm going to do. Do you have cheat codes? Anything? He was like, no, there's no codes. And I was like, you're horrible. <laughs> but then I got past it. And sure enough, that was the first person I messaged. I was like, oh, beat it, fool. Because <laughs> I have you have you ever beaten the Turbo Tunnel in Battletoads? No. I have seen it beat, which is crazy impressive, but no, I have not done it myself. I think I watched my brother beat it, uh, and that's why I like this game, is because it reminds me a lot of the times when I would play games with my brother, and you know, we'd do everything two-player on a Saturday morning, and hopefully I'll play it with him someday soon, but in the meantime, it's just like, ah, that's like the Turbo Tunnel, which he could beat, but I couldn't. Yeah, and along those same lines, and I think I said this to you, when my friend Alex and I sat down to play this, we would get to a boss and, and get our ass kicked and have to like sort of, when we got the game over, we would like talk strategy. Like, hey, what did we learn about the boss? Like, what moves do we know are coming? How can we sort of combat it? Like, it really felt like it did back in the day when you were sitting down in front of your TV on like a Saturday morning with your friend playing one of these nes games like you're not looking up on the internet to like figure out how to beat something you're discussing it as it's supposed to be done it felt so cool like having that sort of experience again uh this late you know this late in life and that's one of the things i always enjoy with homebrews is that uh there aren't guides there aren't walkthroughs you just have to play them but with a beat-em-up especially there are really no guides you just have to be good Uh, or patient or tenacious or whatever, but it all falls on you. So what were your thoughts on uh, music and stuff? Well, I was super impressed and I didn't notice this at first. Um, You know, it just sounded like really good music, but he does a really good job. He being the composer. Sorry, I forgot your name. You're amazing, by the way. He did a really great job of, using whatever game the level was sort of inspired by like there's like you said an elevator stage that's clearly inspired by double dragon 2 there's a level that's heavily inspired by river river city ransom there's a level and boss heavily inspired by mega man like all of these different levels the music is very reminiscent of those specific games in those levels so like hearing the influence was such a nice touch that i i assume most people 
got from it, but I thought it was a really sort of unexpected nice touch on top of how solid the gameplay was. Can I raise my hand and say I'm not one of those people? Oh. You just you just blew my mind. Yeah, like in I think it's the second level when the first appearance of the skateboard dude, the music in that level sounds very much like Adventure Island. You know, the Battletoads speeder bike, like all of these influences, the music while you're playing them is very, very influenced by the source material. Check it out. I cannot wait to play this game with you so you can educate me. This is nuts. I had no clue this was in here. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, jeez. I, I like need a minute, but until then, I guess let's uh, until I can regain my composure. Why don't we have Thomas on? And we're going to also talk to a fellow named Justin Woodward. He's the head of Interabang, and he sort of served as the director and producer of Brawl, with Thomas, of course, doing programming, graphics, and, you know, the day-to-day implementing of things. It's exciting to talk to the uh, two of you here. Thomas, you there? I'm here. Hello. Hello again. Uh, Justin, can you sort of tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I've been a game developer, been in game development for the past 12, 13 years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, Yeah, started out in AAA doing like 3D environment design, went into, you know, uh, went to school for it, actually, for art and design. And then found myself after not really liking being a cog in the wheel for the man, so to speak, um, starting my own graphic design studio and then that kind of led to wanting to create uh games created a team and just started working on stuff and shortly after we started the 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 company we got invited to uh ign for the ign indie open house worked on our first game super combo man along with a bunch of other projects that kind of took off like we ended up working on some really cool games being introduced to some amazing people in the Bay Area. I came from San Diego, moved uh-huh. to the Bay Area for this IGN, this whole IGN experience. And then we became partners with IGN. We started pitching our games to um, like PlayStation, Xbox, Ubisoft, all those folks. And then started actually started a second company called the Media Indie Exchange during that time to help indie developers get a voice and... Um, pitch their games to publishers and to the press and stuff like that so been quite a journey all right so let's back up let's back up to you mentioned you guys securing the rights to make a game based on the giant silent bob characters now did you know right away that you know what's becoming chronic blunt punch was what you wanted to do or did it take you some time to sort of you know, flush out the ideas in your head and 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 morph it into kind of what it is now. When we fir- when we got it, I initially wanted to to do a beat 'em up. When we did our first game, Super Combo Man, it was it was our first experience with that. It was like the scope was huge. We weren't able to execute everything we wanted to, and I knew I wanted to try my you know try our hand at doing another two D brawler, right? But in the same vein as like a Final Fight, you know, slash. Uh, Streets of Rage, Simpsons, you know, yeah, that, kind, that yeah. kind of game. Um, but we, I wanted to make sure it was all, I wanted it to all be hand-drawn and have like a really amazing fluid animated aesthetic. So that was the main thing. But we also wanted to, because we're 
super fans of Kevin Smith, right? And like all the material. When I was in San Diego, like sleeping on the floor in my room and I was having a hard time while we were trying to make, you know, make our first few games, like I would turn on Jay and Silent Bob just for <laughs> the good feelings. You know what I'm saying? Sure. No, it's it's awesome. I'm a fan myself. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, so what we wanted to do was make something that had that vibe where it has, you know, a dark sense of humor. It has adult humor, but we wanted to match it with a a colorful and fun aesthetic and start from something that, like, is familiar and get into something very dark and grotesque through each level. Now, let's talk about your role. Like, you've talked sort of at length about the type of game you wanted to make, but what's what's your role specifically in the development of Chronic Blonde Punch, and what does a typical day look like for you? Uh, my role is I'm like the I'm, I'm the director of the project, um, so I I help to make sure and and kind of the vision holder of the project, right? I, I'm really I have a tight vision on how the combat should feel, as well as like how's the how the aesthetic should feel. Although I have that, you know, that creative kind of creative direction, I work with everyone in their discipline to make sure that they have input and take ownership of various aspects of the project. Right. So so right now it's like a lot of it, (laughs) to be honest, a lot of it is a lot of biz dev work, you know, uh, communicating with publishers and and that type of thing. And then the Mm -hmm. data day-to-day working with the animators you know so i'm like kind of all over the place to to make sure that the puzzle is fitting together <laughs> you know what i mean yeah based on the vision that we we worked out together you know so because that's been in development for what five years now or so yeah it's been in development for five years at this point so, yeah I'm, sh- I'm sure your role has sort of fluctuated over time so with all this stuff going on with Chronic Blunt Punch, you guys had a very successful, was it Fig CO? Yeah, it was a Fig campaign. Yep. Raised like over 420,000. Where then? 420. Yeah, well, there was a stretch goal for that, Kevin, strangely enough. <laughs> so where'd the idea for this sort of NES spinoff come from? How'd that, how'd that come to be? So basically, like, um, Fig was a, a really interesting platform. It was a platform to rival Kickstarter and Indiegogo with a investment component. So basically what happened was we visually raised that much money, right? But through that whole process, we were kind of like the, the, the third or fourth project on the platform. I think double, uh, like... I think um, Psychonauts 2 was one of the first ones and Rock Band, uh, one of the rock bands was on there and that type of thing. So during that process, they were going through the SEC regulations, which is very difficult because they were trying to allow the average person uh, who couldn't qualify, um, you know, for the normal amount of like private investment to invest in these games. And so they took... Um, there's like different reg, you know, reg A, reg C, that type of thing, not to bore you with it too much, but it, so basically what happened was because we were so early on and they were still going through the process, they weren't able to actually collect on the investment portion of it. You know what I'm saying? So around half of the, around half of the money that we thought we were going to get, we didn't actually get because 
we couldn't collect upon it, if that makes sense. So anyone who, who backed it for rewards, immediately that cash came in to help us with the development of Chronic Bump Punch. But that other half or so didn't come in, right, to us. No one lost that money because it wasn't collected. Mm. But what happens is, you know, six months later, you you ask the average Joe is really happy about, you know, chronic bump punch. Hey, give me that thousand dollars that you wanted to put up. Oh, I don't have it anymore, you know, because family things happen, emergencies, or they're not excited about it. So what we we went into this project with basically half the funds that we thought that we had and we needed for the development. Mm. And so I've been because of the mix, the media indie exchange, uh, and through other games, I've been working with like with the folks with Josh and Doug from Limited Run for quite a while. And like I told them, like, look, we're we're working on this game, Chronic Blunt Punch. We'd love to do something physical or whatnot, and we're also looking for publishers. And so they they said, like, hey, look, let's pr- let's invest. For whatever reason, something like kind of happened during the that investment trial, you know, or not trial, but investment period. And they're like, we can't, we can't really do that. But here's an idea. Uh, and we started shooting around ideas of like how we could do stuff like pre sell like fake Nintendo cartridges, you know, with a with a pre order for chronic bump punch or do mini games or whatever. And then it kind of came to they were already working with Thomas on Nintendo games um on golf right golf Mm -hmm. and um and so they were like how about we you guys make a little a a little small like nintendo game and so that's kind of where it sparked off and it was the the idea was that because it was taking so long because we were having financial difficulties due to the that whole fig situation is that we do a pre-order uh, we give everybody who backed the game the game free on Steam. We did the pre-order for the cartridges, and then we're able to sell the game in order to raise the funds to finish Chronic Blunt Punch. Interesting. That's how everything kind of came together. And then Thomas and I, we started working on it, and like we just felt like we had the same kind of mind. And we were just cracking up, talking about old-school games, because I'm a huge fan, and we just... We start, you know, I started to work on design, combat design and such. And then he was like, just, you know, making cool stuff. And we're like, okay, this is the thing. And we're going to make this the best Nintendo game that we possibly can. So, Thomas, how much collaboration was there with the powers that be? Like, you know, like, like Kevin Smith sort of echelon of like the content of the game from like the setting to the gameplay to the enemies. Like how much of that was your idea and how much was that? sort of fed to you i i'd say the ideas it was mostly me and justin coming up with the ideas and then we would kind of you know it was sort of we'd afterwards show it to them and and after they after they saw the game they were definitely really into it but as far as the development went it was basically for the most part it was uh me and justin doing doing that kind of stuff like we pretty we pretty much had um like sort of the you've got the whole kind of view of universe thing and you can just kind of, you know, there's a lot of pantheon of characters in there and some of the stuff can be kind of a deeper cut than others. And I kind of wanted to get into some of that weird deep stuff. So that's why you'll see some of the references are from like, say like the clerks animated series where you get the 
Patrick Swayze on a horse, or I had like Mr. Leonardo and plug is just like random enemies and, in uh one section i just i wanted to put little details like that where i because where i am like i've been since just like justin i've been a big fan of kevin smith since like the 90s that was kind of important to me i I really liked having some of those deep cut references in there and i think it was something i thought too that limited run that josh would uh like i know he's a fan as well and that he would appreciate it like i've known josh for a long time he used to um his handle on uh the old Eskimo Bob forums from like 2001 2002 his handle was Silent Bob at the time so <laughs> it's it's really funny like just how it tied together so when he came to me and said hey we've got an opportunity to do a uh, Jane Silent Bob NES game i was 100% down with that so uh, you know i was a big fan of the clerks animated series and and a lot of the stuff from his sort of uh you know his movies but there were a few things in the game like references that i don't think i got is there anything random in the game or is it all a reference to something like a really deep cut i was gonna say we we like kind of add to to that and to what thomas said like because we were working on chronic blunt punch so long i kind of knew the boundaries so when we came up with that when thomas came up with ideas or i came up with ideas i knew what we could not play around with or what we could. So that kind of helped us, you know what I'm saying? Cause it was really hands off with them until we like came up with something that was pretty close to finish. Right. But yeah, a lot of it is like, uh, as far as the other references were referent referential from games that we loved. Right. right. Like, like, uh, like, like, a, a Adobo with the pretzel head. That's obviously a Bobo from, from, you know, Double Dragon. Uh, from Double Dragon. And then right. we had like the Mega Man reference with Cockknocker where he comes in and the gate opens up and we we're playing around with, oh, this will be cool. Uh, the negative versions of, you know, Jay and Silent Bob, you know, like that's a play on, you know, a, again, Double Dragon, Zelda, like all those other games, right? So sure. a lot, if, if it's not a Jay and Silent Bob, like view askew reference, we're kind of, you know, giving a nod to games that we loved, right? Oh, the most obscure reference I think that we that I put in there. There's uh, there's the guy, the ice cream guys that drop ice cream, and they have the little, the little sailboat hats or whatever. Um, I, I did kind of base that off. I don't know if you ever saw that. Like, there's this pilot for a clerk sitcom, and Kevin Smith wasn't even actually involved with it, and it's absolutely horrible. But they added this third <laughs> character into the show. And I don't even remember I think his name was Todd or something. So it was like Dante and Randall and then this guy named Todd who, <laughs> who like works at an ice cream shop that's next to their stores. Weird. And it's like and it's not even the same actor playing Dante and Randall. It's like different people. It's it's you can find it on YouTube. It's it's really awful. It's 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 like watching this parallel universe where it's like clerks has been taken over by saved by the bell <laughs> like it's 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 weird but there's this other character so i was like i, I threw a, and i put a reference to that in the manual that he like i think i said in the instruction manual that this ice cream guy is from another dimension in another dimension he works next door to the click to the quick stop <laughs> <laughs> so like, i don't know if anyone in the world other than me saying it would ever pick up on that but that's as deep as i got nice <laughs> So prior to this, um, Justin, were you aware that people were making new games for the uh, original NES? Yeah, I mean, I saw Galf, uh, and I've 
I've been in the, you know, the scene as far as emulation goes and a few folks were, you know, you know, the indie developers that were previously making other titles were working on Genesis games. So I was well, I was aware of it, okay. um, but I didn't know how deep it went. You know what I mean? Until this, until I started talking to Thomas more and stuff. So with Mall Brawl, kind of what was the division of labor like? Who did what? As far as like the design stuff, um, I, you know, helped out with the the artistic vision of it. But I mean, Thomas is freaking amazing. Like he was he was initially doing all of the the sprite work and and that kind of thing. And obviously he was coding and um and building everything. Uh, but it was mostly like I would be the kind of the same way that uh, like the same role as I play on Chronic Blunt Punch, um, where I would be, you know, working on some of the artistic direction combat design helping with the design but a lot of it was especially the design it was collaborative outside of you know building the game right that was that was thomas and then we had uh tony lays is freaking amazing composer he came in and did all the chip tune music and we went over just tons and tons of amazing like konami and capcom music to kind of you know, uses reference. Uh, and then wall ride came in and helped us build the, the art and animations. Um, just because like Thomas had so much on his plate. Sure. Had any of those folks worked with the constraints, a big constraints before. I know Tony did Genesis. Yeah. Tony was familiar with Genesis. He did, um, oh, okay. Phantom gear or is that the name? Yeah. He's he, yeah. He's working on phantom gear. Yeah. And he does concerts utilizing like some of the tools is just, you know what I mean? Super limiting. But Wall Ride, no, like that was a big learning experience. Like Thomas really had to like go in and work with them on that. You know what I mean? Because it is, a, it, it's very interesting challenges there. <laughs> so clearly, yeah. you know, in regards to the music, there's a lot of very, clear inspiration depending on the level for like whatever game the level's referencing like the elevator and for double dragon and um you know the battletoads shopping cart level like the music seemed to very closely mimic or pull inspiration from the source game i assume that was intentional right or am i just hearing things i think i it was definitely intentional but i don't think it was like level like based to be honest it was like we had a bunch of, he, he made a ton of tracks and then we, we were like telling him like kind of what it would feel like. And we, he had a bunch of reference. So there was no like clear, like this is Mega Man. This needs to be like a Mega Man-esque thing. Really? Yeah. That's incredibly surprising to me. Yeah. It really was more kind of after the fact where it was like Tony gave me, because it was sort of like. I kind of arranged what levels each track would go with. He, Tony would make tracks and he did the soundtrack quite quickly. It was really impressive. He would just, he'd sketch something together and he'd send it to us and be like, yeah, that sounds cool. What if you sped this up? What if you did, you know, add, uh, gave him a little bit of feedback. Both me and Justin would do that. Um, and then he'd come back with just with these like really great sounding tracks. And then I would think, you know what, this one feels like it would be good for, uh, this one feels like it would be good for the elevator. This one feels like it would be good for the cart race. Like it was, it was, it was kind of put together like that more, more so than, um, 
more so than otherwise. There's some that were obviously like say the uh the credits medley. I mean that was obviously meant to be the credits medley and stuff like that, but a lot of them really were just kind of um they weren't composed to be the level. It was more like the levels were built to to fit the music or arranged in a way that fit the music. That's such like a happy coincidence because I swear like when the skateboard guy pops up, like the music reminds me of Adventure Island so much. <laughs> I didn't even that's think of cool. that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was. It, it's interesting the whole process. Like everything came together very quickly and serendipitously. But like, especially at the beginning, exactly what like Thomas was saying was like we j- we were like just give us some tracks, right? And so like he whipped those f- like first four tracks up and was like boom, and, and then Thomas was just adding them them to them to the to the levels but then when it started to come like as we were piecing things together it was like it, it was very clear when i you know uh, when we were working on everything and w- when i was communicating with tony it's just like we need a boss you know what i mean like we need a boss medley that is going to be throughout the bosses and we want to switch it up later on that kind of thing and then l- after we kind of had our cadence then it was like okay he's like p- putting together specific songs and then okay we have a final level right this came together like that well when you if you end up listening to the episode you'll get a professor kevin's art theory analysis of the music (laughs) he he was reading into all sorts of things oh yeah i went down a conspiracy theory rabbit hole i guess yeah i guess so you know thomas you've done this is like your fourth finished game uh, i think for the nes uh we got eskimo bob we got alfonso we got galf and you know you're very quick with this, um, and even with fulfillment, you're you're quick with that too. But uh, with Mall Brawl, did you have any past projects you could sort of pull from to sort of help get you started a little quicker? I mean, because you did the whole you or you guys, you all did the whole game within like about a year. Uh, that that's pretty quick for like the size of this thing. Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit. It's funny because I think at first, when I before I even talked to Justin, when I was talking with Josh, I think he almost had the idea that you know, hey, maybe it could be like a almost like kind of a sprite swap of Eskimo Bob with new levels, just something like a really simple project. But just when I got talking to Justin, I wanted to make it something. I wanted to make it something bigger because it's like where where he was doing a beat 'em up and it was and doing the eight bit beat 'em up, and I mean I. I love like the River City Ransom games and just like the the Cuno series in general. So doing something in that style, um, it kind of very quickly. Sort of the early prototypes were based off of the Eskimo Bob Alfonso engine, and then it it kind of a lot of that just really quickly got rewritten. Like we added that third dimension into the movement to give it that like that sort of three quarter perspective, and um, just rewrote the physics entirely. So. It, it it was almost like it's sort of at the initial prototype stage. It was I was able to use code at that point, but it all kind of got replaced in the end. So as far as like the initial vision for what you guys, when you first started talking about what you wanted to do, how much of that initial vision wound up in the final version, or was a lot of it sort of decided and changed on the fly? We initially. Uh, just to jump in, we initially wanted to have more of an open world feel where you can go into the wor- go into the different shops and stuff and you choose where you want to go, which was pretty cool. Just looking at scope and how when we wanted to get this thing done, it just made more sense 
to go a linear route. And I kind of feel that like we went, we accomplished more than we initially thought. Um, as soon as we, we jumped in, we start coming up with ideas. I initially always wanted to do a brawler, like in the vein of double dragon and like, and the Cooney series, we stuck pretty close to our vision and overachieved, I believe. Yeah, I think so too. Like the scope did grow a bit. I think, I think we were originally it was supposed to have six levels, and now the final one had nine. But there, there was definitely there was that open world idea. It was kind of like it was like we started out thinking we were going to kind of make something that felt more River City Ransom, and it kind of veered a little more Double Dragon with the final product. But it it happened very naturally as the game was being developed. To it, it just felt like the right direction. Well, I hope you're both very proud of what you've accomplished. <laughs> it's incredible. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, how is it different, sort of working with a team like this, Thomas, and with sort of a bigger IP versus just doing one of your own projects where you just, I guess, I don't know if you kind of make it up as you go along or uh, if you set yourself a formal thing ahead of time and just work from that. But uh, I know in my own projects, it's always kind of, yeah, let's add this, let's do this. And I, at the end of the day, I'm the boss. You know, this didn't quite work that way. I mean, in some ways it's different and in other ways it, it wasn't that much different. And I think a lot of it had to do with where I was primarily working with Justin and where we had been given a lot of freedom over what we could do. And we were like-minded in a lot of our ideas. So it's, and we would talk like at least a couple times a week, you know, with ideas and I was shooting him builds pretty frequently. So we were able to just shoot ideas back and forth a lot so it was very collaborative in that way so it was like kind of like yeah well what if you know kind of like you know like what if this level layout was a little different here what if we what if we uh you know change this enemy behavior a little bit here it, it was i actually found it really helpful because it's nice to have that feedback from another person during development even with my own games i i kind of had that because uh, my wife does a lot of testing for me with my games, so I would have a lot of testing. Remember, like, what do you think? You know, what do you think it is? So, uh, so it's like I, you kind of had that collaborative thing. So it's like, yeah, Justin's like my Marlboro wife. I don't know, <laughs> my Marlboro wife. Thanks, did you guys? <laughs> did you guys work from like? Did you establish sort of a formal design document in the beginning, or was it just a bunch of sort of? Lo not loose ideas, but a, a good communicated vision and go from there. It was, it was pretty broken down because I, okay. I knew that we had, we needed to create, you know, uh, we needed to create an overall vision and where we were going to go with it. And it did expand, but yeah, we kept updating the, the game design document and, you know, we, we worked on in with various tools together and, and that kind of thing. So the game itself, honestly, feels and controls better than I want to say any of the other brawlers I've played on the system. And I know Thomas that you programmed the game in C, right? Like what's yeah. your secret? How how are you so good? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just wanted it to feel good, so I just made it so. Don't we all? No, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I don't know. Um it's uh I mean, I've got a background in C. I've been programming in C for like over 20 years at this point. I've, it's just so working in C instead of assembly, just it feels a lot more natural to me. Um, I did do like 
like some routines in assembly and i think knowing when to when it's more necessary to use assembly and as opposed to c is useful so like um you know things like the like the, the sprite buffer and uh and, and stuff like that like or or if you're going to be um doing things that would be slow that are known to be slow in c using uh cc65 anyway knowing what's going to be slow knowing how to organize the the code in a way like i know like shiro's done documentation on how to like use global variables and all this kind of stuff uh, i kind of i've read all that stuff before and i had already done like eskimo bob and alfonso those were both in c as well so and, and there's a lot of similarity that i'm going to use just in programming style between those games so you kind of just learn optimization techniques as you go along and like with each game there are things that's like okay you know i, I could have done this better you know I, you kind of tweak it and then um you know tweak some of your methods or processes that you're using or whatever at some point it just you know you, you just get a feel for it and i think i think it's just some of that just having that feel for it helps that's just nuts because for years people said that you could only do basically puzzle games and real slow paced uh, things in C and that, that anything else you had to be doing in assembly. And, you know, and your first couple games were more, they were platformers, but they were puzzle platformers, a little slower, not, not a ton of action. And then now you've got this game that blows most other beat em ups out of the water and is right on par with anything else on the system. And Easily. it's all done in C. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's a great accomplishment. Thanks. So you mentioned that the project changed a little bit over time. Like how how early on did you decide that you wanted to be able to switch the player out in single player mode between the characters? I'd say that was day one. Yeah, that was pretty really? quick. That that had to be like because one of the things were that we agreed upon off top was that we wanted to do we wanted to take uh, contemporary design and apply that to you know the old school platform sure no I, I mentioned that a few times in the episode so it definitely it definitely came across and and the the thing in chronic blunt punch is that you know you you switch kind of like in donkey kong country where the players tra the other players trailing uh behind you and you switch like and oh. now like thanks to thomas you could actually switch mid combo um, but you switch, right? And then you revive each other. But we wanted to do something really interesting where we don't have a life system because it's such an archaic, you know, mechanic. So yeah. how do we do that? Like, are we going to like, how are we going to switch back and forth? And that's kind of what we came up with. And Thomas like busted out a bunch of different ideas and we went over them and we're like, yeah, the whole game feels very modern, very fresh, very, yeah, not archaic. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. So, you guys, obviously, the uh, development of Mall Brawl went pretty well. Uh, you're still working together. You're still talking. <laughs> Can we hope to see anything from the two of you guys in the NES field in the future or uh, anything? I mean, I mean, I think there's there's some stuff. <laughs> I'll just say there's there's some stuff in the works. Some stuff, but you know, we, we're we're definitely talked about about doing some more stuff. Can I try to guess what it is? Just kidding. <laughs> 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 i mean i don't know if you could guess to be honest but there's uh, That's what you said last cool time stuff. yeah he, he pulled that one out last time <laughs> well that's all we got for you guys anything else you want to uh say to the world before we kick you off yeah make sure to make sure to grab that mall brawl yeah 
yeah, get it on the Switch, get it on Steam, and pretty soon on other consoles. Ooh, like the sound of that. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thank you both for coming on. And Thomas, it was good to talk to you again. And Justin, it was great to talk to you. Yeah. Good luck with Chronic Blunt Punch and this stuff that you speak of. <laughs> All right. Snoogans. <laughs> <laughs> awesome actually getting to like all the details we were fuzzy on like getting to learn you know the truth and to meet those guys um well i guess we knew thomas but to meet justin that was really cool you know we go into a lot of these games it's sat on the shelf for years it's something we've heard a lot about on social media but to actually you know if you'd asked me before this episode where did Marlboro come from I mean, I hadn't done the research. I didn't know all the depths to the LRG and Terabang, Spoonie Bard production relationship. And yeah, I mean, that, I guess that's why we're here for all of you. But uh, for me, this, <laughs> on a personal level, this for me, this is why we're here. So I can actually learn these things. And, and the fact that Thomas is like working, you know, for Terabang now. It's so cool. Yeah, that that's a pretty big step. Yeah, he seems to... Kid seems to be doing all right, you know? So overall, like, as far as the game goes, where would you place the fun factor? Is it replayable? Like, do you have any thoughts on that? So I I sort of alluded to this earlier, but my brother and I like to play two-player games, obviously, because who wants to watch another person play a game and not play themselves? Uh, Next time I see him, and last time he visited, we played through Turtles 2, Turtles 3 several others wow this this is gonna be well we didn't beat them we just said we played through them oh, okay stupid <laughs> stupid shredder uh every time or i think krang got us on uh turtles three but uh this is like top of the list for next time he visits we are gonna play malbron i i'm he you know he knows what i do but he also he went to school for video game design and stuff. So he kind of scoffs at what I do. He's like, Hey, you could do better. I'm like, but <laughs> uh, this is one of those uh, good moments in the community where I can say, look, these people, this is what our community is about. This is the type of stuff we're making. And I think his jaw will just drop and he'll be like, wow. Okay. I respect what you do because of what this other guy did, which I'll take the credit. Plus bonus by this point, you will be a Kevin Smith expert, and you'll be able to tell him all about the various references, just to blow his mind even more. He's a couple years younger, so yeah, it'll just confuse him, because if I didn't watch him, he surely didn't. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it's it's definitely fun, a great two-player game. It's a game I'd want to show to any friends or family that come over, and to me, that's replayable. It's not replayable in the sense of, you know, Zelda, where you're looking for all the clues, or a big RPG where you're 
finding new areas or new ways to do things or getting different endings, but it, it's replayable in terms of it sort of always being enjoyable. And it's enjoyable based on who you're playing with. Well, I think that's the best part. I think that it's so humorous in his presentation and delivery that anytime someone new comes over who's into gaming at all, I think we'll have, you know, retro or not, we'll have an, an like a truly enjoyable time sitting down and playing through this, you know, with you. So you have that many times that you're going to be able to play it with all those people. And plus the fact that, like I said before, it saves your progress. So even if you turn it off for six months and you come back, you know, you can you can start over if you want, but you'll have the option to just pick up where you left off um, and not having to sit from the beginning anytime you want to sit down and play it, I think is a huge benefit. I guess, you know, for me, I, you know, more and more we've said it uh, on the podcast. This is one of my top five or top three or top ten homebrew games of all time, but which is it? Uh, Just kidding. This, no, no, it's a valid <laughs> question. Like, for me, I've always chosen that number based in comparison to the licensed library. Like, to be a top three homebrew game meant you were basically a top five to ten NES game period. So things like, you know, Micromages or Lizard or Mad Wizard. I'd rather play those than, you know, Mega Man 2. Wow. Mind you, well, Mega Man 2 is not my favorite Mega Man, so <laughs> we still have 3, 4, and 5 in the mix. I just cut out 2. Fair enough. So as more games are released, for me personally, like this is now, I went from top 3 to then top 5, which you know included other games that we've played. You know, Quest Forge was really good, uh, Twin Dragons now, last episode. That, that sort of pushed it further. Now I'm sort of in like a top 10, and Mall Brawl fits clearly within the top 10 of homebrew games, and you know, that means basically top 10 of licensed games or maybe top so you're, 20. you're not i i think i understand what you're saying now you're not actually ranking games at this point you're saying this is amongst 10 or 20 other homebrews that are truly next level you're not saying this is the 20th best in a in a list you somehow have no i would say it's if i had a list it would be anywhere from one to 10. Right. And then if you mixed that with the top 10 of my NES license library list, then you'd have 20 total. Right. Now I, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a weird I will scale. agree with you now. See, I was about to take offense because like, I truly think right now this is the pinnacle of NES homebrew. Um, and maybe that's because I'm biased to some degree since I love these movies, but man, it's just, it's so easy to pick up and play. It's truly enjoyable from start to finish. It has the, the co-op to where you can bring a friend over and enjoy it with someone. And I feel like that sort of pushes it into the upper echelon when you get to experience. Cause you know, we as homebrew enthusiasts, which is such a stupid term to say, um, you know, we're going to love these games that come out, but when you have a friend who isn't into NES homebrew and you try to show them some of the other homebrew stuff, like, yeah, yeah, it's cool, but it's not something that they would like be into. But I feel like anyone would be able to sit down and like have just as much fun playing it as we do being homebrew enthusiasts. It's, it's so good. 
Well, Mall Brawl is hard for me because I'm evaluating it as a one-player game when I probably need to be evaluating it as a two-player game. And I, I feel like it would really shine. We'll, re- we'll revisit this question after uh, you come visit. <laughs> Which is funny because we won't be able to talk about it till after this episode's out in a different episode. Stay tuned. Yeah, Verdict is still out. <laughs> no, I mean... I cannot wait to play this with somebody else, which is not, you know, usually I have to like wait until I forget enough that a game's enjoyable, but this, I just want to find another, I want to pull somebody off the street and just be like, you need to play this with me. Let's say get away from me creep and you know, the usual, the usual, but I mean, we've talked about the game as it plays, I would say extensively at this point. Like, how did it come out? Was it digital only? I know it came physical because you and I both own a copy. True. Oh, which color do you have? Green, dog. Oh, man, I should have got green. When the game was released, it was initially teased on a trailer or sort of a mock trailer on Interabang's uh, Twitter, which Thomas tells me was actually the Eskimo Bob engine that he just subbed in new characters for jay and silent bob nice yes always always classy uh, not classy i say this sarcastically clearly works um and then yeah when lrg did the release there was an le which was limited to a thousand units and then open pre-orders for a regular edition like they generally do with their uh, switch games But it went up on a bunch of other sites afterwards, like Castlemania games, where it was still a reasonable 60 bucks or whatever. Reasonable. I I didn't mind. And uh, yeah, so that's how I got it. And the packaging, the packaging was a little different. You know, I've got about 200, over 200 NES games on the shelf, a good at least 100 125 of them are CIBs. I've seen my fair share of packaging. I've also, of course, produced my own through several different people and and whatnot. But uh, the packaging on this was different. It didn't use any of the regular suppliers. Had like a vinyl sleeve. Did you notice that? The box material felt very similar to what Micromages did. Um, it it has like a texture to the box. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's a matte, not a gloss, and it's not clear coated, which was different than most. But d- yeah. d- do you remember the sleeve? Like an outer sleeve? No, like the dust sleeve. Oh, I didn't pull the game far enough out to see it. I just pulled the cartridge out. Oh, it actually released it? What? My dust sleeve was so tight, I about broke the cartridge trying to get it out of it. Oh, no, I, I'm going to have to go back and look. You will, and you need to smell it, because I'm pretty sure it's vinyl. Ooh, I do like vinyl. Yeah, which is really neat, except it was so tight. And same with the um, the box itself. The flaps were all bent. And we, we don't usually talk about the packaging in great detail, but I was very excited to break the shrink wrap on this one. And then, you know, all the flaps were bent. The sleeve was super tight. The manual was bent because it had been shoved into the sleeve. I wasn't real thrilled about some of that, but it it does look nice, I guess. <laughs> you, you didn't experience any of that? Oh, no, I, I didn't. I, I think I remember something being tight when I was originally opening it, but, you know, it's been so long since I did that. 
I don't mm-hmm. remember the details, but no, when I pulled it out yesterday, it came, that sounds really dirty. It came right out. <laughs> um, so I'm not, I'm not sure if I switched the sleeve and forgot about it or what. But in addition to that, if you didn't want to hassle with blowing into your cartridge in your top loader uh, or front loader, uh, there was a digital version on for PC and also the Switch, which is pretty cool news. That was also released by LRG. And then there have been a uh, fair share of people who they do a crowdfunding project and then they do another one, but they still haven't delivered on the first one. Ooh, yikes. Yeah, I'm just going to say that it happens. And they somehow think it's okay. They make justifications. They try to explain it away or whatever. You may find yourself in that position where you have two projects and you just need to get them out. And there, there's complications. We don't need to get into all that. But with this game in particular... So anybody that backed Chronic Blunt Punch, you know, Mall Brawl wasn't even a thought in their heads at the time. So, but they have gone ahead and gone the extra mile, and anybody that backed that first version automatically gets a digital version of Mall Brawl for free, which to me... Oh, that's awesome. Uh, you Take care of your early supporters. That's it. Absolutely. Like, why would you fight them? Why would you harass them online? Just do what's right. And so, uh, yeah, that's really, to me, very commendable. Um, so what what system did Chronic Blunt Punch come out for? Is it well, like PC? It still hasn't come out. It's, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's due out in 2021. It's, you know, it's taken five years to do. And uh, it's got a large team. Thomas is, you know, now part of that team. Justin's still in his role as whatever he's doing. Producer, director, overseer. So anyway, long story short, if you haven't tried Mall Brawl, you definitely should. But moving on to what we're working on. Bo, I know you have a lot going on but I just want to talk about me for a second because I don't get to do that enough. <laughs> so right now, <laughs> not too much is going on in K-Han land. Let's see. John has uh, been working on some updated graphics for Courier. He he was pretty happy with what, what he had done in the past on some screens, but he wanted to sort of take things to the next level because honestly, this project is so good that it deserves it. So by the time you guys see some of this stuff, um, you know, if what you already saw you were impressed with, wait till you see some of this new stuff. I'm in that group. I was I was very impressed with what I saw so far. Whew. Oh yeah, he is he's a talent, man. I'm glad he's on my team. <laughs> or are you on his team? I can't tell. Oh, you're you're not wrong. I mean, with talent like that, I don't mind riding some coattails. <laughs> But let's see, outside Courier, we are just finishing up the Chum Lee Kickstarter. Surveys went out for that. Most of the people responded by now. There were, I think, 30-ish uh, outstanding surveys that we're waiting on. That's going to wrap up pretty quickly. And art is still continuing to be done on the King's Quest uh, port that I'm going to be doing. It's really good. I, I think you guys have seen some of that stuff on Twitter. Um, he's doing a hell of a job on that, so I'm very, very... Who is he? You know who he is? Jordan Davis. Jordan oh, Davis. the great Jordan Davis. He is becoming more great... Greater? He's becoming greater... Probably by, greater. By the day. It's like every day 
he's showing me new stuff. It's better than the last screen. Every screen's better than the last screen. So like, it's just continuing, continually getting better. Um, but he just, uh, I think, recently picked up some contract work. So he's uh, going to be slowing down on that a little bit. But that's okay because I have, obviously, Courier uh, is first in line. So knocking that out is going to be my main priority after the game jam. So by the time you're hearing this, it is now the main priority. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, they still have five days. Five days to oh, go. Oh, that's order. true. Yes. Don't let's not forget. Actually go pause right now and go do that. We'll wait. Yeah, it kind of feels like a last call. <laughs> So what are you working on? I know that you're always continually working on the RPG. What's going on with that? Well, you know, last episode I said you might be seeing the RPG for the uh, Nest Dev competition this year, which is from today, 11 days from the time we're recording on the 18th. It ends March 1st. I will not be making the deadline. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's happening. No, and I I probably could have. Like, now I'm looking at it going, yeah. I could have made it, but with with the game jam, this is kind of our last chance to do this. I, I'm not going to be able to travel for a little while, and yeah, no, it's hard with with a project that's this big at this point. Like I've been doing working on it for four years, off and on. The scope has, of course, well, the scope was always big. It's just now I'm seeing how much bigger it is than I had sort of envisioned, and to to cut it down for a competition entry would mean. Well, it means finishing a bunch of stuff. So the push got me to finish a whole bunch of things that were sort of rough and lingering. But to polish it even more at this point is all at the expense of content. You know, I can't either take two days and refine this little area or I build a whole map and a whole section. And I don't know what I need to do, but I wasn't going to make the competition. (laughs) You would have gotten to play like 20 minutes of game eh, maybe like 40 minutes and that would have been it like one area and it'd be like oh, okay yeah this isn't this isn't worth your four years and it'd be like but that's not it i don't know man i my attention span is about 40 minutes these days so it might have been perfect well i am designing this game to be very uh playable by adults with limited time like the sections are broken down into go explore a section go finish a section little personal achievement for the day but you don't have to like be immersed in these giant like two-hour dungeons or these huge story Mm. segments so it sounds like you're throwing in some modern touches also watch out thomas yeah i mean they are yeah i guess they are okay sure (laughs) I'll, i'll be modern i guess kevin do it and you know it's just hard like when you look at the credits for some of these older games you see things like overworld programmer battle programmer menu programmer and it's like if you're the solo dev on a project or at least the solo programmer those all fall to you (laughs) those jobs didn't get any smaller right that would have been so nice just focus on a specific i mean obviously you probably don't get your vision of the game but being able to focus on just one little one little part of the game development would be nice oh well my battle engine is bigger than quite a number of nes games like just by itself without content just like the engine part yeah Uh, a little overboard but yeah 
So yeah, I'll be slowing down a bit now that the deadline has passed. But obviously, you know, this this far in, I got to sort of keep at it. And my goal is still to have eh, maybe not all of it, but most of it finished uh, this year and and have that, you know, play it. I've got sequels I want to make. I, I need to finish this first one. <laughs> and I've got some some life deadlines coming up that I just need to need to get things finished and moving and, and all that. And yeah, and then beyond that, you know, my other main thing is a uh, 6502 collective work. And this is kind of like the inside scoop on this stuff, because we haven't been sharing a lot on social media. And we are about to launch um, a Kickstarter for Nathan Talbert's Anguna, which is a continuation of the series he began back on the Game Boy Advance many years ago. And uh, we are also going to start publishing Lizard in the U.S. I, I know it's it's now on Antoine's. No kidding. Yeah, it's it's on the Broke Studio website for international stuff, but U.S. distribution will be through the uh, 6502 Collective. And we are also going to be adding a couple other big games to that catalog that I cannot say right now. Color me intrigued. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen, but aren't, aren't there like some Famicom releases that have been released or are releasing soon? Yeah, a lot has been going on in the community. But one of the vexing parts about that, which is actually, you know, it's actually very good. I'll get to the vexing part in a minute, is there have been a number, a large number of Famicom games uh, being released lately. And the vexing part is that it's very hard to get information about any of them language barrier <laughs> well there's the language barrier there's just you know it's a whole different community and they're sort of doing their own thing like it's this very organic natural doing shows doing small things it looks a lot like what the nes homebrew scene looked like you know 10 years ago or 15 years ago with like they do 50 50 copies at a show and that's it but they were you know they're very high quality or at least interesting you know whichever uh, maybe one of these days we'll do sort of a roundup of the different ones we we know of and could learn about or have on the shelf, things like that. I'd like to because I'm completely out of the loop on these. Well, we know some of the famous ones like Mr. Splash. That was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Then there was Blade Buster, which everybody knows, or at least they should. Hell yes. And those had this weird, like, um, disclaimers by the people that made them. They were like, we don't want carts made. We don't want to be sued by Nintendo. Like, these are free releases. Don't come ask me any questions. And this new crop of people for the last several years is very different. They want to talk about it. They're selling stuff on cart. They are approachable, um, as far as I can tell. The payment systems with Japan are different. So it, they don't always have a way to sell to people outside of Japan. And so that has led to, I think, a lot of just the insular selling. But you know, we'll, we'll get to it one of these days. But one of the neat ones that I noticed, you can actually download it, a demo of it right now. It's called Blazing Rangers, and it's by a fellow named Karu Gamo and another person doing the uh, music. But it's going to be published by First Press Games. It's kind of up for, I think, pre-order, or at least it's about to be. And the First Press Games is the same people that are doing the Famicom version of Project Blue. And Oh, nice. Yeah, and so all that to say, this is a game 
for the Famicom, released by these people, whatever. It is sort of an arcade-style, firefighting-themed game, and it, it plays quite well in the, in the demo. Who started the fire? We didn't start the fire. I don't know. It's always always burning since the world's been turning, Kevin. <laughs> but these are house fires, and those, those do start somehow. Lint fires, usually. I, either because your Fiero has caught on fire in the garage when you looked away. Ooh, that'll Ooh. do it. Yeah, or various other reasons, but... <laughs> Uh, so this Blazing Rangers, it's, it's very impressive looking. So like the arcade part is fun, but then all of the sort of presentation around that, you know, you have raster effects on the uh, interstitial screens, you have a little guy running, like it's all just very uh, high production quality. And so you can download the demo right now. They're actually having a high score competition that you'll get mentioned on their itch page if if you do well or Twitter or something. It's sort of seems like they're still figuring some of that out, but I think if you do quite well, uh, they will uh, take note of that. And I think more contests need to happen for NES homebrew games, whatever that means. Whatever that means, and I liked it too because like they understand that people could do whatever with this. So there's a, there's a little like statement on there. Like, please don't cheat. This is just for fun. <laughs> Keep it fun. And, and I, I love that honor system. Yeah. And yes. it's, that is what makes a lot of this fun. And the, the nest dev competition is, you said rep wrapping up soon. Uh, 11 days. Yes. Cause I will miss that deadline. Bummer. Are there, are there any fishing games this year? Well, <laughs> kind of. Kind of. There's an aquarium simulator. Ooh. Yeah, the the pickings have so far been pretty slim, but, you know, a lot of people will submit the night before the deadline. So let's hope that there's more. Sure. But, uh, you know, you we're used to seeing a lot of puzzle games for the Nest Dev competition and platformers. And, but this year we get a game about COVID. We get the aquarium simulator. And I'll say, that thing makes Fishing Challenge look boring. Well, that's sad man it's okay boring huh i actually don't know if you have to press a button in this one i didn't fire it up but uh (laughs) you know so fishing challenge may have it beat you still have to press a button well i mean when you go fishing well sorry not when you go fishing when you watch someone fish i imagine it would be equally boring i went for realism i still remember that year we all got together and Fishing Challenge was the game of the event. Everybody just wanted to sit there and talk, and every once in a while somebody would hit A, and we'd catch a new fish, and that was it. All of the fishes were caught. Fishes? All of the fishes were caught. Fish. Fish. Good times. Uh, and so, <laughs> one of the strong... There's actually quite a few, like, even though there haven't been that many games submitted, there, there's some really impressive ones. One is Witch and Wiz, which you remember that one, right, Kevin? Oh, of course. Matt did that one, right? Yeah, Matt Houston. Or is doing it. Is. He's porting it from another system, right? He's porting his old Pico 8 game, Witch and Wiz. And I, I'm guessing at this point, he's probably added quite a bit of content. Uh, but he's posting about it pretty regularly on social media. Very, very impressive, especially in terms of the level of polish. He's one to watch. I, I, I can't wait to see what he does next. Of course, I can't wait to see Witch and Wiz be finished either. He's got a bright future ahead of him. Like a young Billy Mumphrey. 
Uh, there's another. <laughs> there's a wide-eyed and dreamy. Um, another impressive-looking game is called Wolf Spirit: Trials of the Wolf Clan, which is a nice little platformer uh, by VNSBR. I couldn't tell you what that means, but means something to somebody. And this is sort of the first chapter uh, they're doing as a competition entry uh, of what will be a much larger game. And it, it's very, it's pleasing to the eye, I'll say. Ooh. Uh, but, you know, there's usually a good platformer in there. But this year we get two good platformers with another one being by, we actually, um, so during the Game Jam announcement episode, or not episode, commercial, ad, shameless plug, what do you want to call it? All of the above. Okay, okay. We featured the music at the end was by, which we didn't get a credit because we had recorded most of that back in June of all times. We thought we had to ask somebody for some music like two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, he goes by the coolest nerd guy on the Video Game Sage forum or Discord and probably forums too, I don't know. He did the music and the programming and a fellow named Yoey did the art. Did he use arps in the music? I don't know what that means. Arps. Come on, Bo. Got nothing. Get, it. Get on the arp train. Well, anyways, they together ha- are doing this game called, and I think the title's undecided, but it's Project Choco Blip. And it's got this amazing looking eight way scrolling engine, parallax effects in the background. You wall climb. They cleaned up a lot of it because uh, there's they've started to do this sort of brew talk on the video game sage discord they schedule it and everybody like some people will show up and talk about their new projects and so they did this one they had this rough parts of a game and they pulled it all together uh coolest nerd guy said in like three days and they got it into something playable that they could show people and so I asked him I asked him how it was doing yesterday and he was like, "Uh, we're waiting till the deadline to kind of do one of those like uh deadline pushes again." <laughs> <laughs> but from what I've seen, it's very it it looks great. It's got that parallax parallax effect sort of like in uh was it Metal Storm? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, where it slides like that nice neon colors. Yeah, it almost looks like it's two backgrounds. It's so cool. Yeah, layers on a system that doesn't have layers. Exactly. Now, I haven't heard you mention Nathan Tolbert's name. Now, isn't he working on something called Arcadia? He is, and that is... He's described it to me as a game kind of like Overcooked, which I've never played, so I had to go look up a video, and I was like, oh, okay, I have no clue what's going on there. I do have a clue what's going on in his game because he saw my convention quest art and wanted to use it for that, at least parts of it. So I let him. So I've had to play it some and try to understand it. And it's quite impressive, but it is kind of guaranteed last place. Why, Kevin? Because it used convention quest art? Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) That burns, man. That burns. Sorry, I went for the joke instead of the serious answer. Mostly because I don't know the serious answer. It's a four-player game. Oh, poor Nathan. Yeah. You know how you feel about multiplayer games in the competition. Yeah, they typically don't do great. Been there. Solidarity, brother. No, they don't. But I will say, if you get even one other friend, let alone three other friends, it is a ton of fun. Like It's so frantic and fast-paced that... 
it is it's good and it, i think the name is subject to change uh for various reasons i think it's going to be called arcade rush in the end which i need to draw the title screen in the next 11 days <laughs> before you come here i do i have i have to do a lot of work before i come there now what is it with him and making frantic fast-paced games for the compo because didn't he do that last year or the year before he did space and make racy robo ninja climb i don't remember what last year's was the vvvvvvvvvv game isn't that that one yeah, that's his thing. He likes the com- he loves the competition because it gives him an excuse to finish something in a short amount of time. Like some of them have taken like two weeks, others have taken a lot longer. So early, you mentioned a, a game about COVID. Is there really a game about COVID in the competition? There really is. A nice looking uh, little arcade game by a person named uh, RJM called Umanashio. <laughs> you make that sound. Like a conspiracy cult. <laughs> the uh, Immunatio. Immunatio? Immunatio? I actually, I asked you to say that because I have no clue. But something, uh, you, you could have been right with your cult name, I don't know. I'm almost certain I'm right, except probably not. <laughs> and yeah, it it, uh, it looks like a nice solid entry. The, and obviously it's rather topical due to the current state of the world, which hopefully is going okay for everyone. You know, a lot of the best art is topical, so I'm completely okay with that. Okay, Warhol with your soup cans. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you've seen this, but they've done something called Brew Talk on the VGS Discord, where they actually get on Zoom and show off their projects. Wait, you, you just talked about that, didn't you? Yeah, it's just it. I they've had one so far. The next one is scheduled for February twentieth, which is in two days, which is probably three weeks ago. If you're listening now, <laughs> I do really like that they're advertising like the next coming brew talk now. Like you can go in there and actually see when the next one is. You don't have to just be there, you know, coincidentally as they say when the next one's going to be. Yeah, and I I heard some good things about the first one. Uh, it didn't show up because mostly because I am not ready to share things. But uh, yeah, some people had some really nice things to say about it. It was it was a good time. Uh, a lot of projects were sort of discussed, shown. Uh, got to ask creators questions. So if you're interested in that, uh, be sure to check that out. And I couldn't tell you when the next one's going to be after the one in two days. So go find out for yourself. Find out in the next episode. (laughs) Yeah, which will then be two weeks behind. Exactly. So the last thing I sort of want to talk about is was the last thing we talked about last time, which was Project Inversion or Astrea Unknown. Uh, I think that was the other sort of working title. Well, it now has an official title. It is called Former Dawn, and it's going to take place in this trilogy uh, called The Chronicles of Astrea. And that's sort of some updates. Uh, So after we did the episode last time and mentioned it publicly and everybody flipped out uh, when they were (laughs) like, what are you talking about? This game is using this and that. It's doing these things. And love those things. Yeah, those things. Yes, very specific. Um, (laughs) Well, if you listen to the last one, you know what's what's in there. Anyways, a lot of impressive stuff was supposedly happening. Well, 
they got their stuff to get not stuff together they they just hadn't really planned on launching publicly this soon and so they kind of kicked it into high gear got together a website got together a blog got together the twitter account you can actually learn more about this game now and, and see some of the art see some of the stuff that they that was all kind of in the ether is now rather concrete and it's been very impressive so far awesome I based a lot of what I said last time on one screenshot. Now I've seen a, a whole lot more. Yeah, I'm now following them on Twitter also, so I am I'm loving all the updates. Plus they got Ellen on board it looks like, which I don't think she was officially a member last time or if she did I wasn't aware of it. She was. She's been a member since last April, I think. Gotcha. Well, I'm I'm loving everything she's posting, so keep up the good work. Yeah, yeah, she she's doing a lot of fun stuff. The lead artist, uh, you know, has done a lot of stuff. And, and of course, that's, you know, what translates well into social media posts and GIFs. But there's a lot more to it, too. The story is just phenomenal. Very, if you're a fan of Dune, you will like the story in Former Dawn. And you are quite the Dune fan, aren't you? I only recommend about three books that people read anything else is like you may or may not like this i'm not going to stand behind it but dune as uh zelius will tell you i'm a fan of dune and then the great gatsby and then what's the third one goodness if anybody you should never <laughs> read the great gatsby never just don't you're wrong old sport don't do it Ugh. anyway you got anything else in the community happenings you know, a lot's going on in the community, a lot of good things, a lot of interesting things, a lot of different things than we've seen sort of in the past. You know, we, we just covered a game that might be the best game to use a licensed IP in the history of the NES, except it's, you know, 2021 or 2020 when the game came out. Still awesome for sure. Oh, amazing. But like that blows out of the water the Goonies. Yes. Little Nemo. Yes. Ghostbusters. Back to the Future. Karate Kid. I'll go all day. Never mind, I'm done. Half of those were actually really good, but uh, it's still, you know, <laughs> what? I, I would love to know which of those you think are very good. <laughs> no, no, uh, with, with Ghostbusters, the one that Hal did for the Famicom. Okay, not not Ghostbusters. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, good night. No, goodness, no. No, <laughs> nobody bad. wants to play that. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, no. Pl play the Hal version. Um. Anyways, yeah, just and we're seeing different stuff with hardware. The the community's sort of a changing place. You know, it is what we make it. So it's awesome. I love that there's so much variety going on. Because I think if it was the same thing or the same types of things happening over and over and over. It would get stale. There's so many new people coming in with their unique ideas that, uh, I don't know, it's exciting. Well, and we're still seeing, you know, a lot of us have pushed more toward the giant, huge, multi-year, multi-person, top 10% of the NES library licensed quality uh, standard. But, you know, to see more arcade games, to see more puzzle games, and, and to see them very well done is... There's still room for whatever you want to make, which is what this is all about. I would love to play Dead Tomb. I'll just throw that out there. I have that penciled in for a possible future episode if we ever receive it. <laughs> well, 
as always, we appreciate you all tuning in. I would strongly encourage you listeners to write us some questions because we need intro topics. So please send us your best ideas to nesassemblyline at gmail.com. If you have questions, we'll read them in the future, potentially on a future episode. Yeah, potentially. Uh, If you want to follow Bo on Twitter, you can find him at Solgoose. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at A Ton of Glaciers. If you want to follow us both on Twitter, you're a pal. And let's see, of course, by the time this episode comes out, uh, the Game Jam will have happened, I think, right? It will have taken place, but you can still purchase a copy of the results, though you don't know what they are, for another five days from the day this episode launched. Ooh, it's going to be worth your while. Don't be sleeping on this game. I bet you wish you had a Christmas 08 cartridge. Yeah, I know I do. You know, any support that you can lend is is always helpful, and we don't... You know, we've thought about different ways to kind of justify some of the time that and money that we spend doing this. And, you know, we have the patron and, and that's good. And we've also toyed with, you know, what if we released a bunch of episodes on cartridge using that MP3 technology? And it's like, we don't want to do that. But with the Game Jam, uh, that's sort of a way for us to give you something as much as it gives us the chance to do something fun. So thank you for all that have supported. If you haven't supported, no worries. I can't believe that by the time people will have heard this, we will have made a game together. Our first one ever. I mean, I've done art for you. You've done sound for me, but this is a true collaborative effort. Ooh, I'm nervous. I hope we did good. I'm sure we did good. Who do we have for closing music today, Bo? You know, I I was looking over our closing music and the various tracks we've played over the, I guess, years now, and I don't think we've ever featured a track by Optimon. Ooh, you got something? Well, who's Optimon? Chris Lincoln? You are correct. It is Chris Lincoln, Uh, and he did Raleigh. He's the prior to that or in addition to that. Now, both, in addition and prior, he worked on Rogue Dawn, the Metroid hack. He worked on Pyronaut, the Castlevania 3 hack. Yes, yes. The fellow is very talented in many ways. Uh, but one unique thing about his music is that he composes entirely in hex. What? Yeah, and he does quite good music. On purpose? Yes, on purpose. <laughs> the Fool! Does he not know about the Fama Tracker? Well, no, he knows about it, but with ROM hacking... Come on, Chris Lincoln. With ROM hacking, you have to work in certain constraints, and he's just adapted to that. Uh, Oh, he also did some good Guardian Legend hacks, but... Anyways, uh, here's a track from Optimon from one of his various works. Probably Raleigh, but maybe something else, because he's done a lot of good music. See you next time.